Welcome to Family Business Insights, the official podcast of Family Business United, with me, your host, Paul Andrews, where we're looking to get behind the scenes of family firms, address the challenges they face, and discuss the matters of importance to the family business community around the world. Family enterprises form the majority of businesses, large and small, in every country in the world. At the same time, few are able to sustain themselves with the same level of wealth and success even into their second generation, and sustaining shared family wealth after the third generation is nearly improbable. Last year, Dennis Jaffe launched a book, a new book, Borrowed from Your Grandchildren, The Evolution of 100-Year-Old Family Enterprises, which looks at how each generation of a family enterprise becomes larger and more complex, how they must evolve through internal and external challenges to remain cohesive. I'm delighted that Dennis is joining us in the studio today to explore more. So Dennis, welcome to the studio. It's, it's great to have you on, on, on the slot today. Um, let's start with a little bit about how you got into the world of family business. Well, it's, um, it's an interesting um, story. I had um, originally in, in um, my early years um, been a family therapist and I worked with runaway kids and, uh, um, and then I gave that up and went to business school and started working with organizational change. And, um, and I was teaching at, um, University of uh, Southern California. And, uh, one of my colleagues, um, said he was having a meeting to talk about family business, which I had never heard of. And, uh, he invited me because I was, um, working, I had a history of working with family therapy. And I went to the meeting and um, it was one of those um, kind of life-changing events. I, I was really struck by the fact that this was both family dynamics and family issues and also business issues. Mm-hmm. And so I just got interested and there was this kind of a group forming and this was the beginning of the family business field. Um, so it formed, uh, the group formed the Family Firm Institute about a year, a year and a half later and um, the field began, and I, it just it started off as a hobby for me. But I became more and more uh, challenged by the idea that that family that this was the foundation of commerce, and the the difficulty of a kind of a social system like the family, where everybody was supporting each other and caring for each other and deeply connected, and trying to link that with a business um, that was accountable and and uh, um, and rational and, and um, you know, trying to be professional and how hard that was and, and how wonderful it was when it was successful, but how many difficulties uh, stood in the way of, of making it successful. And I guess the, the bug was then born. And from there on, you, you flourished into a great career in the world of family business. And it's still going strong today. Well, I slowly shifted. I, I was working with high tech uh, companies merging. And um, as you might imagine, I found that less interesting than working with um, families that were struggling to do the right thing and, um, and uh, you know, build a, a positive family culture. So it was um, no contest um, uh, over time. And the sex has definitely benefited from your input, Dennis, over the years as well. And, and I know you launched a book recently looking into uh, family firms that have lasted for over 100 years. Um, we all know that the majority of businesses around the world are family owned. Um, but obviously, there's an issue in terms of first or second generation transfer of wealth and then sustaining shared family wealth after the third generation. I guess the study is all around transfer and succession. But, but why study long term family businesses? What's, what's so special and important about them to you? 
Well, I've been always been very impressed by um, uh, you know books like uh, Built to Last and mm -hmm. uh, The Search for Excellence that look for uh, role models among the the best um, of a kind of a, a, a group of uh, businesses. <clears throat> and so everybody talks about how family businesses don't last into <clears throat> the third generation and how difficult it is. And I began to say, well, let's look at the ones that do last and see what they're doing. Um, what a great way to learn. And uh, the, other, um, the other thing I wanted to do was to get beyond just studying the U.S. And, um, and, and see whether international and global businesses were doing the same things. So when I um, uh, retired as a full-time professor about seven years ago, I started to travel around the world and, um, and get in touch with and interview families that had gotten beyond the third generation mm -hmm. as both a, a large, successful, not just a single business, but sometimes as a family office or investment group or owner of a number of businesses. So I, we talk about family enterprise and that we're also had kept their identity as a family and um, working together and creating a positive family culture. So I, I looked at, interviewed these families, usually people from two different generations, and I asked them to <clears throat> tell their story and the challenges that they met and to kind of go back and to see how they developed, what were the turning points, what were the challenges, and, and what were they doing um, that they felt accounted for them being successful. So I interviewed over 100 families from 20 countries, uh, huge businesses um, and, and, uh, um, and, and great amount of wealth, um, every kind of industry um, these families uh, had, had uh, uh, worked uh, within. And uh, to my amazement, um, because I didn't think I would get some clear, neat patterns, I found that there were some very clear um, elements of uh, things that these families were doing that they said accounted for their success. And, um, uh, and that's what I wrote about in, uh, in, in, in my book and in my research. So the book was called Borrowed from Your Grandchildren. So what are the, what are the key things coming out of that then, Dennis, in terms of what are these families saying that's helped them survive the generations? Well, first thing that, that, I, that I began to learn was that the word family, um, that we, when we think of family, we think of our house and our spouse and our kids and, and, and maybe our parents. And um, it's a small household. When these people talk about family, they mean a, a group of families that are related. Um, mm -hmm. So they're, they're, they're more like a, uh, a, a tribe of families. And, and unlike a traditional tribe, um, they don't all live together and live in the same area. They live all over the place. So these families are, are kind of like a community or a tribe of families, and they share ownership, and they have a common legacy in history. So, um, uh, and, and what I found about these families is that they, after they had created wealth, the second and third generations then faced the question of what do we do with our wealth, and, and, and what do we wanna, who do we want to be? And these families made a commitment and a choice that what they wanted to do was invest in and create a great family, a family that did things not just for financial reasons, but they, uh, that, that, that did things for because they had personal values um, and family values and goals, and they wanted to uh, have a positive impact 
on the world um, with the, the wealth and the privilege that they had accumulated. So they made a choice to build family. They, um, all of them, uh, when I asked them what was the, the biggest reason for their success, the overwhelming majority said, well, what we have is a, a set of shared values that um, we renew every generation, but that we all um, respect and live by. Um, but then they said, well, values are nice, but values don't actually do anything. You have a value, it's up there. The, the, the key is when you take the value and actually put it into action. And so these families talked about governance plans, about rules, about ways in which the family got together and did um, activities for non-financial goals, for social impact, um, to build positive relationships, to learn together. So um, they, they created um, not just business governance and, um, and, and business oversight, but also um, family activities. So um, these, uh, these families um, uh, did this, talked about having a lot of engagement. If, if you have a family tribe and the tribe lives in a whole bunch of different places and people are growing up in different households, how do they get connected? And what these families did is they had family, what they called family assemblies, they had family gatherings, they did things together. And uh, most of all, they were engaged with each other across the generations. The older generation was um, listening to and uh, actually learning from the younger generation. And the younger generation was um, learning from the older generation. They were, they were learning communities across generations. They, um, they developed, they had an active development plan and they had a set of, uh, they, they, they kind of looked to their next generation young people uh, they call them uh, stewards, and they taught them the family values, and they taught them about the business, and they engaged them about the opportunities and kind of recruited them to be involved in the family. So they were really actively building the next uh, generation. And they, they had a shared social purpose um, in terms of what they wanted their wealth to do. They were philanthropic. They were active in the community. They were um, uh, the net young people. Um, were supported to do things that were um, that uh, that were good and important in the world, not just make more money. And um, and, uh, and and these families had not just um, a single business, but they kept reinventing their business every generation. Mm -hmm. They uh, half of the family sold their uh, legacy business and and uh, created a family office. They had non-family CEOs, and the family was really um, involved not just in, in, uh, um, in creating, uh, creating new businesses, in investing in a positive way, and in doing things to keep renewing the business and renewing their commitment together. So that, in a nutshell, is a story. And this is a story that goes across every continent, goes across different cultures, uh, different styles. These are the things that 100-year that families do that make them a, a, a community, an ongoing and a strong and a vital community um, that, that works together to make a difference. So, so, so Dennis, what I'm hearing is it's all about purpose and culture, but working on that, obviously working on that on a regular basis. It's not just something they pick up once a year or once every two years to refresh. It's, this is a living culture between the generations that helps drive that business forward. 
and it, and it's not it's not just a a business culture and how we make money. They're 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 certainly these families are successful, and um, and they make wealth. Actually, in every generation, they add to their wealth. But their values and their relationships are about more than money, and so they're they're uh, we talk they talk about having a strong family culture based in values that everybody shares, that everybody has a commitment to work towards. And even though the, the family is all over the place and has other interests, they take the time to work on and, and, and to sustain their families. Mm -hmm. And I presumably communication must have been an integral part of that conversation. Right. Because it has to be remade. I mean, the culture, um, if you started a family 100 years ago, the culture that the family had with a few people in you know 1890 mm -hmm. is going to be very different in 2021 and the world is different the people are different the concerns are different and so the family has to take their values and their legacy and their history and they have to keep reinventing themselves uh, the word that they use um in uh, in each new generation and that takes work and the people have to say we want to be together we don't want to go off i mean each of these families always has the option of saying well let's just sell the business, let's just divide up the money, let everybody go off on their own. They can always do that. And somehow these families say, you know, what we want to do is be together. What we feel is that we could do something together that's far more important than any of us could do individually. And hey, we like each other. Uh, and um, and we've learned, we've, we've grown up together. We know each other. Um, we really, we really want to do this. So you, you're talking, aren't you, about families that are working together, they believe in each other, they believe in the, the common purpose of what they're in business for, but they're remaining their relevance. Um, and, and I guess they're sharing resilience as well as families that have come through a number of generations and, and a longer period of time. So, so how does that resilience play out? Well, resilience is, is a lot of um, the work on resilience now is talking about personal resilience. Mm -hmm. And um, and that's important, but um, uh, and and personal resilience comes from people learning to work together, people learning to um, uh, you know be kind of transparent and to be alert to changes in the environment. Those are that's personal resilience, but these families also practice and experience family resilience and business resilience. And they, they do that by creating uh, governance structures where um, even though um, family members by the third or third generation, off, very few families um, have uh, a lot of family members working in the business. But what the families do is they're on the board. Family members are engaged with the business as owners. Mm -hmm. Family members look to create new opportunities and they invite uh, family, young family members to be involved in in finding new opportunities. So they're they're resilient as a um, as a um, as a kind of an enterprise building culture. A lot of these families, for example, have what they call a family bank, where family members who have been educated, who are experienced, um, and uh, that help them find new opportunities. They uh, invest in social enterprises. Some of these families have done massive, uh, supported massive projects to make their communities a better place to live, a better place uh, uh, for everybody. 
they've um, they've given and, and supported their employees. So there are all kinds of ways in which, which the, the, these families build a not just resilient people, um, but resilient shared culture as a family that keeps reinventing itself. And just to say um, an observation that these families have made, what that means is that everybody in the family, not just a couple of family leaders, has to basically show up and be involved. And mm -hmm. some of the young family members, they have their own families, they have their own kids, they, have, they work separately, um, they don't work for the family business, but they find time to attend family meetings, to be on committees, to be looking for opportunities, to be uh, doing things together, and they, they, they pay attention. They, this is what stewardship means, is, is taking care of the family enterprise and the family culture, even though there, there are other things going on in their lives. It's a really powerful model, isn't it? When you break it down into the words you've used there, Dennis, in terms of stewardship and engaged ownership, even if you're not directly involved, you're still engaged. You engage with the family and you, you care about what's going on and you're caring about the relevance of this business going forward. These businesses are a real force for good, but they bring out, the, I guess they bring out the best in people. They do, and, and they bring the, the people together. Um, one of the things that I, that I see in families that, that, that are not less successful is that the, the elder generation are kind of saying, well, who's going to be the successor? As if there's going to be one successor who's going to be kind of run the business just like this person did for the last 30 years, as if there's not going to be any change. And they think that the success of the family is about picking one person to be the leader because that's what they were. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think the, the families that I studied um, that were successful over generations were not looking for one leader. What they were doing is educating everybody in the next generation so that they uh, developed um, a sense of responsibility to the values, that they developed skills because the, these families had huge investments and, and huge holdings and uh, very complex systems and the people in the family had to learn about them. They, they didn't offer uh, one leadership role. They offered a number of roles. Well, one family, for example, um, had, had a number of different, <clears throat> they had a ranch. They had, <clears throat> they had a large legacy business. They had a foundation. They had family activities and, and family uh, um, uh, land that they had. And, and they, they, <clears throat> they counted 17 leadership positions that they had to fill. Of course, they had a hundred and some, almost a hundred family members to fill them, but they had to not recruit one leader, but they, they had basically 17 leadership positions to fill. So these families um, have a lot of roles and um, they ask people um, to, to enter the roles. And sometimes, for example, family members will say, well, I will serve on a board or, or on a committee um, for a three-year or a six-year term, and they'll really dedicate themselves to that, and then they'll pass the leadership on to uh, to another person, a younger person or a, a, a person um, that hasn't been involved. So they, they really um, work together and <clears throat> and extend the leadership all through the family. And some of those messages, I'm looking at, thinking about some of the people that you talk about in your book. I mean, these are large, these are large businesses, global, global businesses with lots of opportunities, as you, as right. you just alluded to, 17 different businesses within one. And some big dynasties involved in terms of the, the conversation, the Rockefellers, the Wallenbergs. Um, 
I guess, how does some of the things that you found within these big organizations, how can they resonate? What can the smaller sort of mid corporate sized businesses, how can, what can they take from the, the lessons learned to give them greater chance of success going forward for longer term? Well, <clears throat> this was what I asked the families to kind of look back two generations and say, what did they do? How mm -hmm. did they get this thing started? And uh, what they talked about is the, the second generation, um, sometimes uh, maybe the third generation, um, uh, that, that took over from the person who created the business, um, began to create a community. Mm -hmm. So, um, for example, if there's a group of six siblings in the second generation, they began to meet together. They began to, to talk about how they're going to work together. Um, their, 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 their father, who was the business founder, um, he didn't answer to anybody, so he didn't really have to learn about collaboration and sharing and transparency. He, everything was in his head. The next generation creates the culture of the family. They say, how are we going to work together? What, what kind of uh, rules do we have? What kind of uh, meetings do we have? And so the, the second generation begins to meet and they, they begin to define the family values and they begin to define the family culture and they begin to say, well, now there are six of us in the second generation and each of us have three kids um, and our, those kids are going to grow up and have their own families. We're looking at 40, 50 people uh, in the next generation and those um, families that are, that are, that are uh, began to think ahead and say, what kind of a organization, what kinds of activities do we have to do to prepare not just the six of us to work together, but the, the other 40 in the next generation who are growing up very fast, how are we going to teach them the values? How are we going to teach them to work together? And so they begin in the second and sometimes the third generation. That's where the work of building family culture takes place. The first generation creates great wealth, but uh, the first generation aren't really dynasty builders. It's the second and third generation that create meetings and structure and traditions and, um, and people liking each other and seeking each other out and reaching, doing um, things in the community that people are excited about. These happen more in the second and third generation. And, and that's where uh, I, I think the second and third generation are the kind of the quiet heroes uh, uh, of the family that, that create um, these long-term families. So I, I'd agree with you. I think it's the second and third, isn't it, that start the structure and start the professionalization and, and start building the framework around to help them grow um, around the culture and the values that they, they've created. Um, what was your sense of, was there a real sense of pride in their heritage and their history from these businesses that you spoke to? How did that come across? Well, these families, um, so th these families celebrate their heritage. They, they res respect their history. They, um, they, um, I have about 40 books from the 100 families I'm looking at on, on my bookshelf that are the family histories. They write the family histories, but they, uh, but they write them in a way that they, they celebrate the past, but they, um, they're looking ahead to the future. So I would say they're, they're, these, these families talk about the past the present and the future. The past is their legacy, and um, they they have their they they make videos now. Um, they they write books. They interview the young people, interview older people, and they got the legacy. Right now, they have uh, what are the challenges ahead, and how are we 
doing and what are we doing to change? And the future is um, what do we have to do to keep this going, not just as a business, but what, what, what are we going to do to keep stay together as a family? The more people that they have in the family, some of these families have hundreds of family members. Um, uh, they, have, they have to ask each of the family members, for example, in the next generation, well, do you want to be part of this? And uh, all of the families in, in the hundred have, a, have a, um, uh, a, a clearly defined process where you can say, look, I'm a cousin. I'm inheriting ownership in, um, in, the, in the, this, the, our holdings, our uh, whatever it is that, that we own together. But I don't want to be part of this group. I, I don't have the commitment. I don't, I don't feel um, the connection. I want to do something on my own. And there are always some people in the family that separate and say, I want to leave the family business, even though I'm still part of the family. And so um, over time, I think these families, they don't just grow and grow and grow. They grow. But the people in the next generation say, I want to be here uh, actively by, by not asking to sell their shares and by actively saying, I will be part of, I will follow the rules. I will attend the meetings. I will be a responsible owner. Um, and they take on the responsibilities. And this is an active process. It does, doesn't just happen. And some people do leave. So the, these families aren't, um, don't include all of the blood relative necessarily um, in, in the third or fourth generation. No, and I think that's a really positive statement, though, as well, Dennis, isn't it? Because you're looking at families where actually if you've got members that don't want to be involved and they have an opportunity to, to step back, it's really positive. You're not forcing people down a road to become a responsible owner or a steward and commit to something they don't want to. There's an opportunity to leave. And that's really positive, again, for the future of the business, because actually you've got people that are engaged. Right. And and there, every family has people that are dissidents. And, and if you look at the, the kind of the lawsuits and the, the feuds in the families, they're, they're about... Uh, control and about somebody not wanting to be part of it. And um, a lot of the families, for example, uh, in my study, um, one family branch would say, we want to leave and create our own business. Sometimes they, families that don't stay together for 100 years, divide up the businesses and give them to different family branches or different uh, siblings because they don't find that they can work together. So rather than be endlessly arguing uh, for their whole lives and aggravated, they go their own ways. So it, this is not for everybody. That's why that's why there are so few of these long-term families because a lot of things come up that make people say, "We we don't want to do this together, or we don't need to do this together, or it doesn't make sense for us." I, I completely agree. And I think it's fascinating. I just want to take you back to the celebratory part of the conversation where you said that a lot of these businesses have created books or videos and films and are interviewing the next generation. Because I think that's really powerful. And, and, and again, I've got a collection of books in my bookcase, which I love. Mm -hmm. But actually, once the book's been published, the next chapter is already being written. So I think it's important, isn't it, that we capture this in a way that engages the next generation, but actually shares the success stories more broadly with the non-family business world to make sure people do appreciate what, what family businesses do. It's, it's, it, the books are wonderful, but um, I, I look at the, the, the books that I've read, and they're all always a generation or two behind. Mm. And, um, and the stories of the fourth and fifth generation, they may not be as, uh, you know, as, as newsworthy, um, but they're inside the family. They're really important. Um, 
uh, each new generation, for example, in, in these families gets together and um, like the sixth generation, they'll have a meeting and um, it'll be all, you know, people in their 20s and, uh, you know, and um, you know, early 30s. And they say, well, what do we want to do? We love the legacy. What, what's going to be our contribution to it? Um, what's happening today uh, and in the world um, that we live in? that uh, we want to make a difference in. And so each generation sometimes uh, puts their stamp on it and says, our generation wants to go in a different way. Some younger generation says, it's time to sell the business. We want to diversify. Um, some people say we want to kind of focus on climate change or something. Some, uh, some people say um, we see a different opportunity and we want to lead the family in some new ways. Um, mm -hmm fascinating how innovative and how entrepreneurial the uh the next uh generations of some of these families are um you'd think they'd be very conservative and traditional and while they respect the tradition the young people have been educated in in, in great schools they've been educated all over the world they've, they've interned they've met friends and, and people and they've had exposure to so many different influences and so um, the younger generations of these families are incredibly entrepreneurial and innovative. And that, that, that's one of the reasons for their success is not the wealth from three generations ago, but the fact that, that by investing in the young people in these families, they've developed uh, a group of leaders that is ready, to, uh, ready, willing, and able to take the family in some incredibly um, powerful and successful new new directions. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that's what makes the, the sector and the family businesses that you talk about so exciting and entrepreneurial. And actually, it's lovely to see the next generation crafting their own legacy whilst they can and taking businesses in new directions and being empowered to do so. So I think it's a really fascinating kind of full circle, isn't it, that these businesses are continually investing in their people and their families. And actually, the payback is that you end up with good leaders down the line that can do the same thing and grow and continue that culture. Exactly. So it, it, it's, it's, um, it's not what people think, but these families that are 100-year families are not conservative, stodgy, uh, we have to do things the old ways. They, they've created a, um, a next generation of uh, excited, entrepreneurial, creative people who are really well prepared to uh, lead the family in new directions. And, and that's one of the reasons that they're, that they're able to be continually successful. Dennis, it's fascinating, Dennis. I know we could talk all day about this, but I think your book in particular is a great way to highlight and showcase that, that family firms do stand the test of time and they may not be in a massive group around the, around the world, but the businesses that have stayed the test of time are great ambassadors for the sector and have great qualities that other families that are aspiring to long-term growth can follow. So I'd recommend to anyone to read the book, Borrowed from Your Grandchildren, The Evolution of 100-Year Family Enterprises by Dennis Jaffe. Um, Dennis, it's fascinating talking to you. Um, thank you so much, much for your insights this afternoon, and, and we look forward to catching up with you soon. Great. Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity and, um, and uh, to, to share things that I'm obviously very passionate about. And your passion comes through. Thanks very much. Thank you, Paul. Cheers, Dennis. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Paul Andrews, signing off. Join us next time for more insights from the world of family business.